0: You're listening to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast. For more information, check out our website at www.shorelinecc.com. Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? If you have your Bibles today, we are in a summer letters series. So we're looking at 1 John chapter 4. So I invite you to get it out, get your phone out, get your iPad out. Get this new thing called paper out, if you, want, if you even have that. And turn to the back of the Bible, 1 John chapter 4, as we look at verses 7 through 21. Verses 7 through 21. This is a section of another section of the Bible focusing on love. And you know, you may even be asking yourself today, man, why are we talking about love today? You know, love is so important. How many of you, you, you enjoy? Love is one of the things, right? You have. But it's something that often as we go through, we hear about a lot, but we often misunderstand it. And I believe today as we walk through it, it's so important to the Lord that He would say, let's take some time once again to allow the Lord to remind us what it means to love. Amen? Amen. So 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 through 21. Would you read this with me? Let's read together. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. So what was the main word in there? You guys are so intelligent. <laughs> love is all talking about love. And it's, some of you may ask, and if you've been around the church body very long, it's like, why are we talking about love again? It seems like all we talk about is love. If you are a follower of Christ and you're following him and you're reading the Bible and studying, you're going to come across the word love a lot. In the Bible, the word love appears over 310 times. What do you think God's trying to tell us? Love. He's trying to say that love is important, right? And God's love is really what made everything possible. The fact that you were created is only because of God's great love. Theologian uh, and pastor Tim Keller points out that love even predates creation. He talks about how there was, God had a community going on already, but because He loves so much, that community will always expand and will always invite people together. That's why we're here today. It's all because of God's love. But we also know that it's because of God's love that we are now reconciled to Him. Because if you're like me, you've blown it. How many of you have blown it out there? Okay, I'm raising both hands. I'll raise even a foot. Okay, I've blown it before. But because of God's love, He knew that I would blow it. He knew that I would reject Him. So He made a way through Jesus Christ for me to be reconciled to Him. And even one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible talks about love. John three sixteen. What's John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son... That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is the love of God. So in other words, love started everything, and love finishes and completes everything. Love is the message that's repeated over and over and over again. And even this morning as we talk about it, you're like, man, we're always talking about love. We repeat it. Now think about your own life. Why do people repeat things to you? Do you know somebody that they say the same thing over and over again to you? Okay? Every kid should raise their hand. There are things that we repeat, don't we? Now, why do we repeat things, or why do people repeat things to us? See, people repeat things to us that are very, very important for our well-being. Growing up, my mom had to repeat everything to me. Everything to me. I I had sports and fishing and music on my mind. Outside of that, there wasn't much going on in little Dwayne's head and eating. But she would often say, (laughs) she would often remind me of some very key things. Believe it or not, when I was a kid, my mom had to say, now, Dwayne, did you brush your teeth today? You may not need to be reminded of that. I had to be reminded of that. Dwayne, did you brush your teeth today? Dwayne, did you pack a lunch today? She didn't remind me of that very often because I knew how to do that. But she would often say things like, Dwayne, you got to stop teasing your sister. Everyone say amen to that. All right. Dwayne, stop teasing your sister. Dwayne, stop jumping out of trees on people. That's, that's harmful. There were key things that she said that was important for my well-being as well as for the well-being of other people because they were key for that. And see, love is repeated so much because we need love. We need to understand what it is because the desire to love and to be loved it's one of the biggest motivators and influencers in our life, isn't it? So much of what we do and so much of what other people do, it's motivated by that desire to receive love. We want to be loved, but we also want somebody, something to love. We look for it everywhere. We pursue it everywhere. And when we find it, what do we do? We tell everybody about it, I'm in love, or I love this place that I found. We even act differently. When we find something that we love or we find somebody to love, our behavior changes. Have you ever noticed that? Right? Think about the first time you you, you fell in love. Your behavior changed. Your schedule changed. Now, your schedule starts to revolve around that. I love this person or I love this over here. We begin to act differently. And once we have it, life seems sweeter. Life seems better. We found love. We've experienced it. But as it relates to God, the word love is repeated so much because we often miss it. See, we know the word love, but we often miss the truth behind it. Let me say that again. We know the word love, but we miss the truth. Theologian Ariel White said it this way. He said, to Jesus, the outstanding sin was lovelessness. And here's what he meant by that. By that he means that lovelessness is the willful omission of any possible good. Passing by on the other side of the road while others suffer. Ignoring the destitute and the marginalized around us. And even withholding forgiveness from people. Holding that grudge. This was the whole point of Jesus in the parable of the sheep and the goats. The separation that takes place. And here Jesus is illustrating that when you love somebody, that love does what? Love, it feeds the hungry. It clothes the naked. It visits the sick and the imprisoned. That's why one of the ministries that I love here at SCC is our prison ministry. Did you know that we have a prison ministry where week after week now for several decades, people from Shoreline Community Church have been going to King County Prison as well as many others to meet and to minister and to love the inmates. You want to talk about a group of people that feel like they've lost all hope. And people here for decades have been going to love. As Pastor Stephanie was talking about earlier, when we give, when we are faithful to tithe and to engage in giving, you become a part of doing what we do as a church where we are feeding the hungry, we're clothing people who need clothes, we're helping people, we're going to those that are prison both locally as well as around the world. There are ministries that expand as we are faithful to God's commandment to give and to engage in this. Because this is what love does. This is what love is. It's an action. But in spite of all this, love is confusing to many people. Have you ever experienced that? Or have you ever gotten pushback back where you talk about love and there's a little bit of a hesitancy there? See, for many of us, love is very confusing. We hear about it all the time, but we often fail to experience that kind of deep love that God is talking about. And as a result, for many people, the word love has a bad connotation attached to it. To where if you even say, I love you, sometimes they're waiting for that, what does this mean? Why are you saying that to me? There's suspicion that rises up. Somebody asked online, they, they, they posed this, this question out there to the World Wide Web. They said, what is love? Pretty big question, isn't it? <laughs> what is love? Here are some of the responses that they received. Some of the most common responses were this. One person said, what is love? It is overrated. It is overrated. Just a fantasy that for many people just isn't achievable. It sets an unrealistic expectation in people that just leads to disappointment because it's portrayed as perfect, never-ending, which is incorrect because love is not perfect at all and it ends all the time. One other person said love this way. They said love is something that people think they have until it is no longer convenient for them. Love is something that people lose easily when the going gets rough. It is an idealistic fantasy that people should give up on. And then one more, one other person said this. They said, love, love is overrated. And they even went on to say, I think lust is far more powerful because lust is what makes people act. Love is something that it's important, but it shouldn't be a requirement. And for some of you, you may resonate with that today where you're like, that's my experience. And there may be others in the room today that as you hear that, you're like, man, how how sad that they've lost hope to one of the greatest gifts of God. Because is this what God had in mind when he talks about love? And can we really even know love today? But see, for us to know love, we need to first go in and understand what love is. I think it's an assumption that we have. So as we look at this, we need to ask ourselves a question. What is love? When I was 20 years old, this is what love was. (laughs) Now some of you, you may be disappointed by this because you're like, Pastor DeWade, this should be more spiritual than that. You should have a picture of a cross or a picture of something else. But as a 20-year-old male coming to America and meeting a beautiful American woman, I went, I have found love. And it looks like this. Isn't that, yeah, yeah. And I went, yep, love is perfect. Love is great. I feel alive. Everything is sweeter, and I hadn't even found good coffee yet, and I was still so excited about it, okay? So at the young age, now, I'm not recommending this, okay, so don't take me wrong, but we got married at the young age of 18 and 20. Well, I was right. That was my sister's response. <laughs> I said, I'm getting married. She was like, what? 18 and 20-year-olds walking in, getting married, and everything was perfect, right? No. Because while we were caught up in all this, and we were what many would call good Christian kids, growing up in the church, we were at a Christian college going through, before I met Stephanie, my plan was to wait until I was 30 years old to get married. I had all these plans going through, but she just overwhelmed me. <laughs> but as soon as we got married, we immediately began to find out what love really means. Because, see, we had different expectations of what marriage meant, right? I mean, we said, we said to each other, yes, I love you, and we had the basics down when you stand before the pastor who happened to be her dad, her dad was a pastor. He had an invested interest in this relationship. And he stood there and he said, will you love her? Will you honor her for better, for worse, in sickness and health, no matter what, forsaking all others? And I said through my tears, yes, I will, I'm in. And she said the same thing. He looked at her and he quizzed her just as hard. She said, yes, I do love. But when we got together, things changed. And the sparks began to fly, and not the sparks of love. (laughs) She came from one culture, I came from the other culture. She came from from a family that they talked about and they processed everything. I came from a northeastern Canadian family where we didn't talk about anything. (laughs) Now we talked, but it wasn't about these deep things. So she was ready to process, she was ready to push in, she was ready to make things happen. And I was like, whoa, 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 this is not working. How do you do this? I went to a Thanksgiving uh, meal once uh, with with her family, and they were at the Thanksgiving meal just having this wonderful meal, and they were just talking and going for it, and the conversation was just flying and lit up, and it was amazing. But being a Northeastern Canadian who didn't really talk, I slipped away unnoticed and got in front of the TV and watched Star Wars for the first time on a Star Wars marathon. (laughs) And I was happy. I was like, this is great. She got what she wanted, I got what I wanted. But that's not how love works, is it? You can watch, at some point, you got to turn Star Wars off and go, God, how do we work this out? Because our expectations was off. We knew the Bible. We knew the Lord. We loved each other. But we had different expectations that we had to work through. And fortunately, we had the basics down. But we had to learn how to live with one another. We had to learn how to walk these things through. See, love for me meant that I could still go out with my buddies and play basketball every night being a newlywed. I didn't say I was a wise man. But love for her meant that every night we'd be sitting face-to-face having long conversations. Right? Sharing deep thoughts. I didn't know if I had any deep thoughts. I was just trying to make it. Did we love each other? Yes. But those were two hard years where we had to discover, do we really love each other? Are we really committed? Do we really mean what we said when all this stuff gets worked out? And there's so many other stories I could tell you. And today we've worked through that 26 years later. It's been an amazing journey. Yeah. But year 26 and year 1 were drastically different. There were times that I opened my front door of that little studio apartment and I just ran. I literally ran. I, I just took off because the stress was getting to me. I came back, but it took a while. Because love is tough, isn't it? How many of you know I'm talking about? Just how difficult it can be and walking through it. See, this is what love is. Coming through. And when we look at the ancient words of Greek, I think it's very important just to spend a little bit of time with our ancient Greek friends here this morning. See, the ancient Greeks, they had four words for love. And these may be familiar to all of them, but they had four words for love. And the first one was phileo. Everyone say phileo. Phileo, Phileo, okay? This is the companionship love. This is the friendship love. This is me wanting to go out with my buddies and play basketball every night. We're companions. We have something together. We're just going to go out and have fun, okay? But it's a love that responds to kindness and appreciation and involves giving as well as receiving. But when it is greatly strained, it can collapse and fail. Have you ever lost a good friend? And you go, what happened? This is phileos, companionship. The other word that the Greeks had for love was storge. Everyone say storge. Okay. This is the love of family. This is the parent-child relationship. This is that sibling relationship. The third word that the Greeks had for love was, was eros. Say eros. Okay? This is the one that our world today loves. This is that romantic love. This is that love to where it's that sense of being in love. It's physical. It's sexual. But it's based on attraction. And the basic idea of this type of love is that it's dependent on what it can receive, not what it can give. It's based on what it can receive and not what it can give. It's a vending machine relationship. As long as the attraction's there, as long as the sparks fly, as long as the physical is there, I'm in. But once that's gone, I'm out. But then the Greeks, they had a fourth word. And this fourth word was eros. Not eros, but it was agape. Sorry. I'm like my culture. I'm stuck on eros, okay? So, so, it was agape love. Agape love. And this was the noblest word for love in the Greek language. The noblest word. This is the unconditional love. This is the love of God. And it's called out by one's heart by the preciousness of the subject loved. It is a love of esteem, of evaluation. It's the idea of prizing. It's the love that it keeps on loving even when the loved one is unresponsive or unkind. Let me say that again. It's the kind of love that keeps on loving even when the one that you love is unresponsive or unkind. This is how God treats us. It desires only the good of the one loved. And this type of love, this highest form of love, it is only possible through God. This is God. No matter what, I'm there. It's agape love. See, this love is so big and difficult to describe no matter how far back we we get to it, no matter how much we try to come in and wordsmith it. It is so difficult to describe. That's why God's love is defined by our actions. And that's what we all want, isn't it? We know somebody can talk a good game. And if you're a parent with a child, you're always watching out for that kid that walks in. that They're talking a good game, aren't you? You're like, this sounds like a sales pitch. (laughs) Because, see, love is not just about words. It's about actions. So God shows us. And this is the main point that John today, that he's trying to make. He's saying that love should be seen when in verse 9 he says that love is made manifest among you, among all of you speaking to this group of believers that have been exiled. They've been removed from Jerusalem. He's talking to them and saying, it should be manifest. I know that you're going through a hard time. I know that you're hurt. I know you've been beaten down. I know it's tough. But this is who we are. It should be made manifest. This is why one theologian describes it this way by saying, love for one's neighbor is nowhere defined, but everywhere illustrated in the Bible. We talk about loving your neighbor, right? El, love, is the first part of who we are. Laugh, right? love. Affirming forget I'm sorry, acceptance, forgiveness and belonging. love, acceptance, forgiveness and belonging. I told you, I got faults, okay? should't be surprised. Love, acceptance, forgiveness and belonging. Love is the first part of it. but it needs to be in action if it is to be realized. Look at the examples that are throughout scripture. The parable of the Good Samaritan. Remember that one? In this one. We learn that neighbor means that anyone who is near enough to help, that's our neighbor. And love involves whatever service that that neighbor's situation demands. I'm going to jump in and do it. That's your neighbor, not just somebody that you love or you agree with or that they're there. True love from God demands that you are in it. You jump in it. It's not based on emotion. It's not based on being about the same tribe as they are. And it's not based on what you can get out of it. This is the lesson from the Good Samaritan. Jesus gave us the other illustration of the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25, where, as we talked about earlier, he said that love, it feeds the hungry, it clothes the naked, and it visits the sick and the imprisoned. This is what love does. Love is the golden rule. This is what our, our society is based on. Do unto others as you would have them. This is the golden rule, right? Right? It's not do unto others when they do it unto you. Do unto others for a while and see if they'll do that back to you. No, it's do unto others as you would do un, have them do unto you. And in most situations, you're going to be the one that's having to lead the way on that, right? Have you found that? It's stepping out and saying, you know what? You're treating me differently than I want to be treated, so I'm going to step in. I'm, I'm going to show you. I'm going to model this. And there's some relationships that you're going to step into, and it will be instantaneous to go, oh, man, look at how she's treating your coworkers. This whole office needs to step up and do that. But does that happen in the office on day one? No. no. I've talked to people in a situation where they're like, look, I've been doing unto others in this office now for decades trying to make this work. But what does love command us to do? To keep doing it, step in, loving other people, treating them the way that they should be treated. Think about the woman caught in adultery. In her day, doing one of the worst things that you could do. How did Jesus show his love? He showed his love by the first thing he did was what? He protected her. He didn't come in condemning her. The first thing he did, he he protected her. And then he helped her. This is what love does. And the ultimate show of love was in the sacrifice of Jesus for us. Back to John three sixteen, when God, he gave his son for us. While we were still sinners, while we were still rejecting God, he gave his son to die for us so that we can be reconciled. See, this is the love of God. This is who God is because God is love. And because God is love, when we receive God, now as believers and followers of him, love becomes our identity This is our identity. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. See, love is the motivation for everything that God does, because this is who he is. This is how God acts. This is how he makes decisions. And everything that God does, it flows from his love. And this may seem like very basic and very elementary, but we often miss that. This is his motivation. Theologian Schaefer says that the theme of the entire Bible is the self-revelation of the God of love. The whole purpose of this book is God is revealing his love for us. And he says that it's God's love in us, not just an added accessory. This isn't just an accessory that you add to your truck and go, boom, I've got the love from a truck now. It's good to go. This is not what we're talking about. This is inside of us. It is manifested in us. It is part of the transformational work in us where it actually comes in and it changes us. Have you ever seen somebody who received the love of God and it was almost like this instantaneous transformation that came alive in them? They looked different, they talked different, all these things were happening. Because they were now becoming to realize the love of God. I've talked to people and I've met people when as I've shared the love of God, I've seen them just uncontrollably just weep and be overwhelmed with the love of God. And one person even even sitting on my front porch, she said to me, she said, what is this? I don't know what it is. I said, that's God loving you. You're experiencing maybe for the first time in a long time the love of God in your life. He's always loved you, but now you're opening your life to this. And when you experience it, when you know it, there's nothing like it. It marks you forever. And this is what God wants to do. But John says something very important in here. In verse 17, John says that love needs to be perfected in us. Perfected in us. That's action. That means that it is a process going through. See, God's love is what? It's perfect. Is my love perfect yet, Stephanie? (laughs) no it's not my love is not perfect I get tired I get run down sometimes I get selfish scary isn't it all these things we are all prone to but it says here in this is that love needs to be perfected because God's love is perfect and God is uncompromising this is his standard but we have this grace perfecting work where God comes in and he flows in us. It's the ongoing work of Christ in us. See, I think in so many times we get confused because we forget that there's a process to things and there's a pacing to things. One of the things that um, that I love to do that I discovered when I went back to the the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area was I got together with a bunch of buddies who ran. And one guy said, hey, you should do a half marathon with me. And I'm like, what? What? A half marathon, that's a long ways, isn't it? My first run was not a half marathon. It was not 13.1 miles. My first run was two miles, with him laughing at me the whole way. But over time, over that process of pushing through, of learning, even having injuries at time, I eventually got to that point where I was able to do 13.1 miles. Now, don't clap because I can't do it today. I've lost some. <laughs> but I say all that to say it's a process, isn't it? It's a process with everything going through. It takes time. And there's a pacing to it. And my pace for things may not be your pace. I've seen people that after a week, they're ready to run and go do it, and then I have to ask God to forgive me for some things I'm thinking, okay? Because they're faster than me. They can go there better than me. There's a pacing to it. There's a process. It's that perfecting work. And Isaiah gives us the example of the potter's wheel. In Isaiah 64, Isaiah says, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Have you ever seen a potter working a piece of clay? It gets this big piece of lump that they've needed. They've put the water in. They've made it pliable. And I've thought about how many times has God had to do that in my life? He's had to take Dwayne and just smash me down and say, all right, let's, uh, let's, let's try again and pour water in and form it. And the wheel starts spinning. And at first, I'm not even centered on the wheel because I'm all over the place, and God brings me back to the center, and it starts to get center. And then he starts to form and to fashion me. That's a process, isn't it? And that's the process that we're in. And then there's times that I'm pliable and things start to grow and they move and then my life gets dry and God's got to pour water in again. And there's sometimes then I start kind of creeping off to the side of the wheel and God pulls me back to the center of that wheel and it starts to form again. This is the process that we are all in. This is the process of God working in it. See, if we are desiring love today, we need to be responsive to that. Because for many people, we forget the process and we become disillusioned with God. And if you want to hear a great message on that, you need to go to our podcast and listen to Dr. Alicia Britt Scholle talk about disillusionment with pain and disillusionment with God. as she just walked through systematically what that means. But we need to understand we're in a process. But if we want to be people who are known by our love, we need to respond to this today. And what's our first response? Our first response is always what? Pursuit. Our response always begins with pursuit because who are we pursuing? It's God. God's love pulls us in and says, pursue me, find me, knock at my door. You knock at my door, I'm going to open it. You knock at my door, I'm going to open it. Everyone else may keep that door shut, but you knock at the door of God, he is faithful to open it and reveal himself to you. See, we always start with the Creator. When we have problems with things, we don't want to go to the second, third, fourth generation. We want to go back and go, who made this? What did they say? How did they describe it? How was this supposed to work? And this begins by going back to God. And it begins by receiving and experiencing the love of God fresh in our life. So we need the pursuit, but we also need patience. Everyone say patience. Patience. Who loves patience? (laughs) Patience is tough. And I've even caught myself kind of, I used to pray almost every day, God, give me patience, and then God brought me to a process of patience. I was like, no, no, hey, I'm good. Because patience is often tried, isn't it? Patience is often tested. I found that as I prayed for patience, God would start bringing difficult situations into my life. It's like saying, God, I want to be stronger, and he brings you to the weight room. You're like, hold on, why do I need to lift weights? Why do I need to be engaged this way? This is the work of patience in our life. See, patience is the first word used to describe love in 1 Corinthians 13. It says love is patient. Love is patient. When we look at that Greek word for patient, we discover that it means to be of a long spirit, not to lose heart. To persevere patiently and bravely in enduring misfortunes and troubles. To be patient in bearing the offenses and the injuries of others. See, I can be very patient fishing when the fish are biting and my boat is filling up with fish. But when the fish aren't biting and nothing's showing up and the rain comes, my patience goes down. And God is saying, Are you willing to learn? Are you willing to be patient in all of this? It's a process. You know, patience was one of the first things as I talked about when Stephanie and I got married. Patience was one of the first things that God was teaching Stephanie and I. What did we have to be with each other? Patient. But it was very difficult. As we began to grow up and we began to have children who we love, I love you guys. Thank you. Right. When you first get that, that child and you hold them and you're so in love with them, but then over time you start to be tested, don't you? Have you, have you ever, ever been tested as a parent or an, or an aunt or an uncle in this room? Right. The first time you see them, no patience required. It's just it's love and it's awesome and it's exciting and it's blessing. And then they do this strange thing called they don't called dis- disobedience. And the patience kicks in. But this is where we need to be. And this is the path that God has for us, especially as it deals with love. Patience is required. We need to be patient. That's what love is. So our response, we need to pursue God. We need to be patient. But then John also says, we need to deal with our fear. How many of you have ever experienced fear as it's related to the word love in your life? Whether fear for yourself or fear for somebody else. But here in verse 18, it says, There is no fear in love. How awesome is that? There is no fear in love. And that word fear, it means to strike terror. Have you ever been filled with terror for someone that you loved? Have you ever been filled with terror even for your own self? But see, God is saying here through John, who's saying that perfect love, it casts out fear it casts out that fear of being hurt and it all begins with pursuing god and saying god what would you show me what would you speak to me what would you say to me cuz see one of our biggest fears is that fear of being being rejected right we have this fear of being re- rejected we we all do nobody wants to be rejected we want to be accepted. We want to be loved. We want to be forgiven. We want to belong, But that all starts with love. And it all starts with this understanding of who God is. So I believe God is saying today, are you struggling with love? Do you know the love that your Father has for you? Then we need to respond by pursuing God with everything in us. It was like Dr. Shelley was saying last week with our pain if I could just get you to take your pain and just face God and just begin to press in. Maybe you've experienced a lot of pain in this area, and I would echo her words again to you now. Just take it. Bring it to God. Press in. See what God would do as you just simply turn to Him and say, Lord, I'm your child. Wherever you are in this, Help me not to be afraid of you. Let your love cast out that fear in my life. Because as we discover the love of God, that's going to fuel your, your trust in him. When you know someone loves you, when you know someone is there for you, and know someone's going to be there closer than anybody cheering for you, watch how your trust rises. Because we struggle with trust, don't we? We see so many examples of people who've abused trust But we have to be careful not to attach that to God. And we also need to allow him to be in us as we pursue him, as we press in patiently, dealing with our own fears and letting that be manifest in us. You know, as I close this today, I I kept thinking about 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. And here's what it says in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if I could speak all the languages of the earth and of the angels but didn't love others I would only be a noisy glang a clanging cymbal a gong if I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move the mountains but I didn't love others I would be nothing If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my own body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. And then it goes on to describe what love is. Would you read this with me? Let's read this together. Love is patient and kind, love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love that is revealed through Christ Jesus as we receive it. And Lord, I recognize today that as we've gathered together, Lord, there are different responses. For some of us, we're ready to jump in and receive it and say, yes, I believe, I know it. But for some of us, we've been hurt. Love is a difficult word for us. And even as we relate to you as Father, Father's a difficult word for us. But Lord, help us today. We know that your love can break all those bonds, all that bondage. The things that have been done to hurt us, Lord, as we press into you and receive. May we receive the healing that you have for us today. In your name, amen. As we, as we re- respond today as a body of Christ, the team's going to lead us in this song. And I'd like to invite you to step out to respond. This is a time when you can come forward and partake in communion, the symbol that reminds us of what Jesus did, his body broken for us, his blood that was spilled for us that we might receive healing. Or maybe you want somebody to process with and to talk about today. This is part of our response. We have prayer teams around the edge who would love just to to listen, just to pray for you, pray with you. Step out and talk to them today. Or maybe you want to go to the prayer wall and write it out and just process that. Or maybe you just want to sit where you are and say, God, show me, heal me. Help me to receive your love today. But let's take some time to process it. Let's respond and receive the love of God in our lives today. Amen.